Has the Relationship Alive podcast been helpful for you? If you like what we're doing and want to ensure that the podcast continues, you can help that happen for as little as the price of a monthly cup of coffee or a decent sandwich, or if it works for you, a lovely dinner. You can also make a one-time donation if that's better for you. For more information and to choose the tier that feels right, please visit neilsatin.com support. Or you can text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Thank you so much for your help in making this podcast happen and being part of making the world's relationships more conscious and thriving as a whole. Oh, and one last thing. If you haven't downloaded it yet, make sure that you grab my free guide to the top three relationship communication secrets. These three things are easy to do and they can completely transform the way that you communicate in relationship. So whether you're talking about something really easy to talk about or something really, really challenging, the way that you communicate it will bring you closer together with your partner so you can experience deeper intimacy, deeper connection, even if you're talking about something challenging. So again, that guide is free. And to get it, all you have to do is, vi- is visit neilsatin.com slash relate, or you can text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions to download the guide. So if you want to support the podcast, you can text support to 33444. And if you want to get the free guide, you can text relate to 33444. All right, easy enough. And now on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. What do you do if you want to bring the energy of your conscious, amazing relationship to the way that you commit with your partner? Whether that be through just bringing intention to the commitment that you've made to be together and to thrive together in relationship, or if it's something like getting married, how do you do that so that it's not just rote and uh, something that's part of the system, so that it's something that's actually unique to you and your relationship and your community and your place in the world and perhaps in the evolution of our species? I know those are big questions, but we are going to tackle them today with a very special interview with David and Lila Sophia Tresemer, who are the authors of the Conscious Wedding Handbook, which came out recently with Sounds True Publications. Uh, Tammy Simon, you're probably familiar with her. And uh, and also the uh, producers of the Couples Illumination DVD. And... uh, other materials that are all about how to have conscious relationships. I love their work. It fits right in with what we've been talking about here on Relationship Alive. And it also offers some really fantastic enhancements to what we've been talking about. So I'm really excited for you to hear from them today. As always, our show is going to have a very detailed show guide. If you are interested in getting the show guide, which will have the show notes, as well as links to all of the relevant things we talk about in the show, you can get that at neilsatin.com slash wedding. 
And uh, or you can always text the word passion to the number three, three, four, four, four and follow the instructions. And I will send you a link where you can get the show guide for this episode and all of my other episodes. If you've been a longtime listener to the podcast, you may also know that my fiance Chloe and I are getting married this summer, summer 2017. So I guess you could say I'm also personally really excited to pick the brains of David and Leela Sophia so that um, so that it goes really well, because it's only three months away. So lots to do, so little time to do it. Anyway, without further ado, I'm so pleased to have you here with us today. Thank you so much, David and Leela Sophia Tresimer, for joining us on Relationship Alive. Thank you, Neil. Really happy to be here. We love having an intro that covers the span and the breadth, including human evolution. Good for I you. I like the human evolution part, and I, we totally agree, by the way. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think it's really important because so much of what we've covered here on the show is how what people are asking for in their relationships is so much more than generations before have asked of their relationships, at least as far as we can tell. And... Yet we don't necessarily have all the tools to have that kind of relationship that we've created in this ideal picture of what's possible. So, and I think that's an important element. Something I really appreciated about your Conscious Wedding Handbook is that you don't start out by talking about the wedding. You start out by talking about the foundation for conscious relationship. We found that people would come to us, we're ceremonialists, I'm a PhD psychologist, um, so different hats, but one of the things we do is uh, we've done weddings. People have come to us and said to, and said to us, gosh, we'd like to have what you have, how do we do that? And then we would meet with them and realize with a sense of shock before going into the wedding, oh my God, these people actually don't know what it does, what it means to have a relationship. They've got to have that first before before they can go have a, a, a powerful ceremony. So that's where the book came from. It was sort of writing down the things that we were saying repeatedly to people who were coming to be to go to, to design a wedding ceremony with us. Yeah. And one thing that I think is so special about your book is that when I think about it, many of my clients and people that I know and people who write, they get engaged when they're still kind of in the blissful honeymoon state of relationship. Everything is magic. They're having sex all the time. You know, <laughs> their partner can do no wrong. That tends to be where it seems a majority of people are like decide, OK, let's let's do this. Let's have this for you know, we're going to do this forever. And I feel like your book has a graceful way of taking people from wherever they are. I mean, they could already be, you know, past the blissful honeymoon stage, but wherever they are and, and easing them into questioning their, what is relationship and why relationship and why each other? And in a way that I think um, is very illuminating as opposed to something that could actually, uh, you know, bring people down <laughs> into, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, that hard, harsh reality or something like that. Well, I think it's this, it's it may be a harsh reality but perhaps can be prepared for because that's that's what we understand that happens in cycles of a relationship, right? It's like you are drawn to your partner, you have things in common 
and and there is that sense of um, you know the honeymoon and the honeymoon phase of a relationship, which can last for years. Um, but our our notion and commitment is actually that we can build a set of tools to reinforce the foundation and to keep it strong and sustainable. So it's a great time when you're in the honeymoon phase to actually do some of the deeper work. Um, what, are, what are we envisioning that our relationship contributes to the world? Uh, what are our values? How do we want to grow together? What, what new projects can we undertake? What kind of uh, social, spiritual activism can we uh, reach towards to deepen ourselves as a couple and create meaning? Um, it's not really quite enough just to want to be happy and have children and, you know, quote, do life. It's really a time in, in the cycle of human consciousness when we need to be way more proactive and engaged and to be able to do that with the support of uh, deep partnership, companionship, sacred union just makes that path forward a lot more satisfying. Weddings are the only, uh, really kind of the last remaining ceremony. There are a couple of, yeah, it's one of the biggest last remaining ceremonies in in all cultures there are many more ceremonies indigenous cultures but in western modern western culture their wedding is one of the last ceremonies and it's being pushed hard by the purveyors of uh, wine beer flowers and the dress consumerism the dress (laughs) (laughs) which all of these things have a place but actually, uh, really, we need to learn how to shove them out of the center of the wedding. And, um, you know, I'm sure you know people say, oh, yeah, we just wanted to have a short wedding because we want to get to the party. Well, <laughs> but the wedding itself, the ceremony itself is such an opportunity for a magic to occur. We call it the sacred moment uh, and that really w- will be will be profoundly transforming in that moment. And because all the people you invited witness that moment, they will be your support team for a long time. Mm, yeah, and we're, I think we'll talk some today about what, how to create this the sacred moment in, in one's wedding and also how to nurture sacred moments uh, in the course of your, your relationship, developing that, that authentic presence with your partner. Um, so, so before we get get into wedding and commitment and and I even I want to make sure we also touch on recommitting, you know, for people who are listening to this show and who are already married or already in a committed relationship so that they can really think about how to take this and use it for their situation as well. Um, but let's go back because Lila Sophia, I loved all the questions that you were naming and questions have come up on the show quite a bit. Um, the, the way that we promote curiosity as a foundation for staying, staying um, true to that evolutionary capacity in relationships. So we don't get kind of like bogged down in how we think things are supposed to be and, and losing sight of the magic of our partner who's right there or the magic of ourselves. Um, there's a there's a particular way that you advocate for questioning 
that that um, Chloe and I talk about in our course, but I'd love to give you a chance to to talk about that as well because I think it's so special and helpful that involves repeated questioning. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you would use that maybe with one of your foundational questions? Um, and I'm thinking maybe something along the lines of why relationship or or the in the name of, like what whose name are we here in the name of? So yeah. yeah. Great, well two, two of our favorite topics. Um, and repeated questions uh, are based on a foundation that there is always a deeper layer to access. So you could um, ask your partner a question once and you'll get one layer. But if you keep repeating the question, like what are relationships for? What is our relationship for? And you repeat it 15, 20 times, you're going to get 15 or 20 responses. And when there's a sacred moment opportunity to deepen in the question and in the response, you can start to feel, all right, it could be from it's for convenience and so we can create something uh, workable in the day-to-day world. And, and then it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until it comes to awareness that the respondent can start to really find what might be called the, the realm of the mystical or uh, the inner sanctum to respond to a question that perhaps has never gone past the first or second or third realm. So there's something about repeated questions that allows for both an intense curiosity and listening. It's not just the respondent. It's a deep listening that creates the circle between the question and the response um, that's quite remarkable. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a very good way. And you, you, you mentioned two possibilities, which are a little complicated to start off with. <laughs> That's something to look forward to. But really to start off with something like, uh, what, what's your favorite dessert? I mean, really, you can start off simply. What's your favorite dessert? Oh, and, and so let's, let's just, okay, what's your favorite dessert? Blueberries. Thank you. What's your favorite dessert? Mm, chocolate sauce over vanilla coconut ice cream. Thank you. Tell me, what's your favorite dessert? Breath. Tell me. Thank you. Tell me, what's your favorite dessert? Walking in the woods. Okay, so you see where that went. Um, you know, you get this, even for simple things like that. Wow, that was, you did well, Leela. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, and the coach who is asking the question always says thank you and then repeats the question. And without, and if you get into difficult, I mean, dessert is kind of easy. Who knows where it might have gone, though? But if you start asking, well, what attracted you to our relationship? That's a really, that the coach has to be so neutral and maintain the neutrality and not go into reactivity because then it doesn't work anymore. Uh, and it, you get into, it, it, it has the counter <laughs> it, it has a, an outcome that you didn't want. But the, when you use repeated questions and you go for about three minutes and that you, you begin to discover things coming up in you which are below the obvious and, and are true discoveries. And you have to let it flow. And if you can't think of something at that moment, you can say pass. And then the coach says, thank you. Tell me. 
what's your favorite dessert? I, I actually would would add that I think what is relationship for is a great place to start. To start? Absolutely. Absolutely. What is okay, relationship guys. for? Because people actually, especially listening to your show, are going to already be asking that question. And there's there's a deep understanding that the response to it can be culturally in, enhanced. It, can, it comes from our family background. You're not asking what is our relationship for. You're basically saying what is relationship for? Oh, relationship for? in general. Yeah, and so there, there's a lot of a lot of material right there. There's a lot of material. <laughs> why do people get together? Yeah, very important. Yeah, well, and human beings. Yep. Go and ahead. and I did appreciate the the depth that's possible in dessert as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I took a risk. <laughs> she scowled at me saying, oh, that was, what kind of silly question is that? <laughs> but the point is you can actually pick almost any question, you know? So, so what do you think of the Mets this year? I mean, even amazing questions will, will lead to uh, deeper and deeper responses that exist in all human beings, deeper vibrations. Mm. And it's, it's especially good to do it with each other because then you start to learn things about yourself and about the other person that are, delightful. Yeah, I'm wondering for for two things. I, I'm thinking that like after you do this, so you would do it and then you would you would switch switch roles uh-huh. um, sure. for another three minutes. Yeah. And and I'm imagining that it would be helpful after that for each person to have a minute or two to just write down like what what surprised you about uh, like what did you learn about your partner? What surprised you about your partner? What um, what did you already know that that you came to understand in a different way? Um, you know, just yep. as a way of of integrating the information. Um, and I think that's a that's a great recommendation, and also would serve people to consider even having a dedicated relationship journal. You now, especially when you're someone planning a wedding. Yeah. Um, or a rededication ceremony, but even just new relationships coming together, they are such a training ground that to dedicate a journal for exactly the kind of exercise you just mentioned is, you know, it's really, it's a valuable focus. And what do you suggest for, David, what you mentioned, that cultivating the, I think in your book you call it equanimity, but the like the ability to hear what your partner is saying without getting reactive and to just stay with thank you and asking the question again. Yeah, you have to, uh, you have to be present, you have to be listening, and you can't take it personally. You just can't, it really just doesn't, if you do that, go that way, then we have another tool called Heart Talk, <laughs> which will help you on, on, to help you get out of the hole that you just dug for yourself. Um, but it's so wonderful. That's, you, you, you used the term curiosity. So that when, if you're truly curious about who this person is, and I'm speaking about both yourself and your partner, who are these people? <laughs> uh, and that really, that you really must maintain that kind of openness and not, not get charged about anything. It's a little like being a counselor, um, which is uh, has a spectrum, right? Like when you enter a counseling identity, you don't have to have all the credentials. You're simply listening and bearing witness the way a parent would with a child or 
Do you know, it's not like being invested in giving good advice. It's actually listening and, and being aware that this person has come before you and isn't about you need to fix them or judge them or react to them. You're listening and allowing some of the innate wisdom uh, perhaps to come through you. But it's very different than if you're you – know, and relationships will often – tend to want to fix each other or change each other. And that's probably one of the first levels that has to be let go. (laughs) In order to authentically connect with what is the identification of the couple, it's not one person's idea trumping the other, right? It's, It's like what's emerging in that third place between you and partner, that is the relationship. And that needs to be nurtured and uh, not not kind of manipulated, but nurtured. Because the benefits are so huge. Could I talk a little bit, Neil, about one, two, oneness? Please, that was my next question. Ah. <laughs> so uh, we emphasize the one, the sovereign individual, the adult human being, who actually would be happy to uh, live on his or her own because it's self-sourcing. That is the person who comes forward into a two, which is a one and a one interacting because of the terrific experiences that are additional, not for cure. You don't actually marry your doctor because it, it really, it, it, well, maybe you do for a, a few weeks or a few months, but it really is not, it doesn't give you the possibility of going to the last stage, which is oneness. Through partnership, through a dynamic relationship with another human being, love can find a home in a way that leads to the most astonishing experiences. That's the oneness, the sense of being in touch with creation itself. We can talk about good sex, and it's actually much deeper and much more profound than that what is potential from a a deep, intimate relationship with another person and the two. And then you go back from this oneness, this sense of bliss out of time, out of space, and you come back to the two and then come back to the one, your individuality. You're not meant to go only one way. You You work it back and forth and back and forth. Right, because, and I like how you mentioned this in the book, that if you, you know, if you dwell in oneness or that, you know, that communion, or the the mythic your place in the the mythos of human existence then you maybe lose touch in some respects with the present moment and what what brings you that dynamic fire of just being your individual self interacting with another individual self right yeah yeah well said and and the uh the deliberateness of moving and knowing what's appropriate. Like when, when the individual realizes, uh, you know, I'm up against too much reactivity in this moment to, to really be fully present. I, I actually need to go for a walk or I need to go lie on the earth. And, you know, th- that an individual can take responsibility for themselves and not take out the feeling of, uh, reactivity on their partner do you know do you know that that's such tender territory it's like to think that you know david has done something that has triggered me 
is not in itself a, you know, a negative reaction. If I can then, if my next step is, oh, okay, he could only have triggered me if I was triggerable. (laughs) And I can then take that reality or that realization and go kind of navigate what what's mine to do and then come back and have a really deep conversation about what I learned or what the reflection is or how we could have done that better. But to not take a whole lot of time um, or invest a lot of time and energy into navigating how, uh, where we're broken or where I blame him or, you know, it's not really productive. So when a couple can start to recognize that each individual needs to be accountable to their own sense of wholeness and sovereignty, and then to come into the, the, the bandwidth or the channels that are open because they've developed good tools to navigate the, the territory with the intention of creating a, a better relationship rather than an intention of proving that you're right. Mm. Yeah, and I'm curious to know your take on this because something that seems so ironic to me in some respects is that, you know, I've I've witnessed people who feel like, well, I don't feel like I'm not whole or I have healing to do, so I can't do relationship or I got to get out of the relationship I'm in to do my work. And yet it on the flip side, from my perspective, it feels like some work, it's required to be in relationship to really have that material mind and, and available for you. So I'm curious where you all come down on that cultivating the sense of wholeness that you were just talking about. And yet, is that a prerequisite or is that just part of the overall journey that you come back to over and over? That's, it's a fabulous question. And I think that that inquiry is important territory because there there isn't a right answer to it, right? I mean, there's a place that is my individual work that's always going to be true. There's definitely a place where we're always in relationship, whether it's with an intimate other or friends or family members. So the skill in relationship is something that we need to keep developing. But I think that there there are cycles that that one goes through. I mean, David and I have had previous relationships. We've definitely learned from them, grown from them, and when it was time to leave them, we left them. <laughs> so it's it's not like there's a a, a a linear answer or a right path. And I I think you you said it clearly that there there's just there's there's a self awareness about what needs to happen now. Do I need to take myself into a, a you know a ten day retreat? Do I need to go away with my partner and we have a vacation together? But to think that we can only come to relationship when we're completely whole, uh, probably that would eliminate a lot of weddings. Well, <laughs> all of them, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> And because, yet, because the relationship is for mutual support. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one of the great gifts that you receive from your significant other is support for you to do your work. They're not the ones that you're uh, beating on and, and learning from. No, they support you to do your work, to, to grow your individuality better. They can Magical things can happen because you're in 
relationship with another human being whom, uh, whose every movement you cannot predict and is infuriating sometimes. But hey, that's that's really great that there's someone outside of your your personal sphere, someone you can't control, who who nonetheless is there shining love in your direction. And you may have to solve some things, but you, to hold out that we need to be perfect before we can have relationship is, um, I think, getting it a little backwards. It, when you go into the oneness zone, into the mythic zone, as you said, when you go into that zone, you can experience those moments of, of perfection, those moments of being completely filled with light and with love. And that's great. That's sort of a resource. That's like a resource yard that you can visit and come back, then bring that back into your two, into your relationship. <laughs> I'm curious, too, around, we actually had a recent episode, or it was a solo episode that I did on this question of, is this person right for me? And I'm wondering your approach to both that question, the like, we were just talking about the, am I right for this person? The Turning that around to, is this person right for me? And then on top of that, maybe we could also just briefly discuss the um, the phenomenon of jitters and like the way that people get nervous about the commitments that they're stepping into. And do you have a process for helping people navigate that? Energy. Yeah. So do you want to talk about do you want to talk about twin flame? Do you want to talk about that? That's a very interesting part of what, you know, is this person right for me, including is this the right person right. That, who the, I was destined to the meet, one. the one, the, the twin one. flame? Right. It's, I, I think that we have a, a very interesting cultural conundrum because the, the idea of soulmates, twin flames is something that is quite uh, a trend and probably has been a growing trend. I know it was something I first became aware of when I was uh, in my late teens through various sort of spiritual reading, you know, going back to the late 60s, early 70s. Well, Prince but Charming has been around for a long time. That, that which would be the, the fairy tale cultural version of it for sure. And the, then put the Disney filter in front of that. And, you know, you are the one for you're, me. Right. <laughs> and we've got the, the whole notion of happily ever after and, you know, a lot of uh, unrealistic expectations. Um, so it, it this is fairly uh, varied territory in 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 this realm of conversation. So I I personally do believe that there are such things as soulmates. I prefer that term to twin flame. Um, they are different. But soulmates is a, a more uh, understandable realm. So for me, there may be a number of soulmates, you know, that one could be attracting into one's life at any given time. I don't think having a, a preconception that there is the one is necessarily helpful because it makes the pressure to find that one really uh extraordinary and too often we found people to say i finally found i finally found the one i finally found the one and then two years later they're divorced, they're divorced. it's like what so relationships are to, are to learn from we learn from them it's really great if you can sort of be shoulder to shoulder walking through life and assisting each other uh, rather than confronting each other and trying to work out your stuff through that one other person 
and there are some relationships that are easier than others. We learn from them all. We hear terrible stories about some people who have relationships with uh, others who are really need personal psychological assistance before before getting into a deep committed relationship. So there's, there's a wide variety. Leela and I, as she said, we've you know we've gone through previous marriages and we learned a lot. It was terrific and we had great dramas and um, and heartaches and heartbreaks and all of that. And we learned from all of them. And I and I feel that uh, so co- completely fortunate to have found Leela and been working with her intimately for what twenty four years now. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It feels new every day. Awesome! Congratulations. And and yeah, how about that question too of the the that nervousness around like, am I doing the right thing, or can I make this commitment, or? you know, the, the, the pre-wedding jitters that people may find, or even when they are, um, are, you know, going from say casual dating to saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to be committed to this person. Mm-hmm. Well, can I talk about that? Yeah. People are saying more and more, oh, I don't need to get married. We will, we'll just live together. And we actually have a different point of view. A wedding ceremony has a level of magic available that is not the same as, oh, well, let's just live together. We'll just cohabit. We don't need to do that wedding thing. I don't believe in weddings, that kind of thing. The wedding has the capacity. Many weddings are, mm, the, the opportunity is missed, unfortunately, but it's there. It's a, it's a possibility which is so worth it, so worthwhile. Now, jitters, jitters is energy. Um, anxiety is energy. If you can work, if the, the trick is to work with it, to breathe into it, to take a walk with it, to take it to the gym, not just to try to suppress it, but to try to help it find its shape and form because there's a communication coming to you. And it may be a growing, it may be a, an assistance in like, what, what do they call them? Growth pangs when um, children, when their teeth come in, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it can hurt. It can hurt when you're growing. And it cannot be always pleasant. But the jitter, the jitters that you experience because you're working with the unknown, what might happen? Something terrible might happen. Well, something, ter- something wonderful might happen as well. So jitters in and of themselves, it can be, it can be a, a celebration. Hey, look, there's energy moving. This is great. I think there's also the opportunity to recognize that it may, you know, in a way, it's like saying, well, what if, what if we don't make it? Obviously, the statistics support that it's, it's a pretty high percentage of marriages that don't last long. And does that mean that the marriage failed? Uh, we both look at our past marriages as having been terrific opportunities. So we we don't sort of cast failure as an option. So I think it partly depends how, how does somebody um, craft even the, the language and the experience of if something, if a business doesn't work and it fails, does that mean I shouldn't have done it? Um, is there a way to, to kind of, again, lighten up on, and, and all this comes down to having clear agreements, to lighten up on something 
not working for an entire lifetime, does that mean it failed? And if we can enter consciously into relationships, then the possibility of exiting those relationships consciously can also be an option. So we actually have a a chapter in the book about uh, divorce as taking two vortices. The divortex means that you go from a a oneness to two vortices where the two vortices return. So I think we've all seen relationship. I mean, divorce is obviously and understandably can be um, hugely dramatic, traumatic and damaging. And we, we like to support people to do the best they can to create agreements, even contracts. If you think about how much energy and attention will go into creating a business contract, and yet we, we don't put that amount of attention on creating our marriages, which can have devastating effects financially and emotionally. So we, we really work with people to come into some level of comprehension of, well, what, what if this doesn't work out? And it's not an admission that it won't, by asking that question. It is a a mature reflection on the fact that it might not. And how do you deal with that up front? Uh, Yeah, I was surprised to um, see that you covered prenuptial agreements in, in your book as a, as a conscious act. And then, you know, after reading it, I was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Um, I'm curious all, considering that you've both mentioned that you've been married previously, and I think more and more, um, in fact, I was married previously. I have two lovely children as the result of that marriage, and I'm about to get married again, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode. Um, I'm curious for your take on that nuance of someone who's been married already and and that everyone, I think, enters marriage with the sense of, like, this is going to be forever, at least this lifetime, let's say, um, then how do you, how do you take that to the next step where you're, you know, let's say you're standing there at the altar or you're preparing to stand there at the altar and you recognize like, well, I already did this once and, and it wasn't for ever. And yet that's what I want this time around. Forever is a word that relates to the mythic sphere. Right. So you have your individual one and then the two ones come together, which is a two a relationship. And then through that, you can actually access oneness. So forever talks about a space beyond time or, or an experience beyond time. Actually, if you get beyond time, you're beyond space, too. So it's pretty great. It can be pretty great out there. Forever is a promise you can't you know, even if you were married until you died, you'd still have that death experience. You go, ooh, didn't have that in mind, did I? So forever is a legitimate statement of the mythic zone of creative love power. That's, it's legitimate. And you need to know when to say, oh, okay, I need to retract that. So when you talked at the beginning about people who have been married for a while. We actually recommend that you do a simple rededication ceremony every every seven years, maybe every 10. But the, the vows that you spoke seven to 10 or more years ago 
are not really operative right now. Maybe you said forever then, and you don't, that really, that word does not resonate for you now, or vice versa. Maybe you feel like, like reaching to the power of mythos and speaking forever. I love you forever. Um, so the, um, yeah, I think that's enough about that. Forever. I love that word forever. <laughs> because some people say, well, they said forever, but they, you know, obviously they didn't mean it. Well, you know, that's being a little too raspy. You don't need to do that. Realize that they're reaching to this, the place of bliss and creative power, and they're pulling it into the room. That's a service for everybody. I, I think a, a big part of what you're asking and what I feel a couple needs to come to grips with is how will they deal with conflict? Mm -hmm. Conflict will occur. And we hope it does actually, because then you learn from that. It's exactly right. And, and, and there's such a terror of having a conflict because what if it resolves in a divorce rather than, well, what if you actually have a recognition that conflict will arise and we need to have some agreements about how do we navigate and harness the energy of the conflict to being the breakthrough to whatever's on the other side of the conflict. Um, so I, I think the, the proactive approach to asking some of these questions, which each one of us has to ask when we're about to be married or considering commitment to a partner is, can we craft a ship for our relationship that's going to be as watertight as possible against the kind of storms that happen when you're out at sea? Can our ship be watertight enough that we're willing, we're willing to take that next step? Because the, the chances are given a really well-crafted contract, some good tools, uh, deep love, and and a an intention. You mentioned in whose name, which I think comes in appropriately here. That there's a like a star that you've hooked your relationship to, a vibration and a value and a vision that that's strong enough and vast enough that this craft of your relationship can actually travel through some stormy time. And that if it does hit those storms, that's not a bad thing. So it's partly looking at some of those conditions, I feel, can can help people navigate those jitters in, in a way that will lead them to asking some of the right questions. The questions definitely should be asked. I do think people benefit from looking at prenuptial agreements. Um, and we've had rarely, but it's occurred that when um, sometimes when people do look at a prenuptial agreement, they, they actually can't make one. <laughs> it's like it's so fraught with, with fear and protection and, and that that very process is what actually keeps them from going ahead with the marriage. It's it. Yeah. It, it, who helps you create a prenuptial is, is important because you can go to, you know, even your family lawyer and the lawyer's job, he considers his job to be a devil's advocate to lay out such paint, such lurid pictures of failure and of distress 
that uh, and so that you'll be prepared for them. Well, it it doesn't serve. There are other kinds of people <laughs> that can help you get the basics of a prenup- prenuptial agreement on paper. And you, you don't need to think about every possible bad thing that can happen. You just need to know, okay, so, uh, you know, what about this situation? What about that situation? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a legal lawyer enforced document, but to, you know, to take a look at some of those possibilities is, is not a, you know, a negative exercise. It doesn't have to be seen that way. Right. Right. And you talk about um, for instance, going to a mediator instead, or someone who's used mm-hmm. to fi- helping two people find common ground. Exactly. Um, that's right. That's their job. That's how they see their life purpose. Yeah. Very different than a lawyer, sadly. Um, so that, yeah, a couple directions that we could go here. The first that's really calling to me um, is the the in whose name that came up again. Um I think that could be really powerful for people because it's in its simplicity, you know, it's bigger than um, easier, perhaps in some ways than like, you know, writing a crafting a vision statement for your relationship. And yet it's so much so powerful, I think, for a couple to be able to come back to that. So can you explain a little bit what we mean when we're talking about that? Think, Think about in whose name being vibration. Um, in what vibration do we come together? And the the quality of designing a wedding ceremony is that it's intentionally built into the idea that you're married by a minister in the name of your religion. And more and more people are kind of having difficulties with religion. Or they so. just want to get through <laughs> that part, which is a sad thing. Uh, a, yeah, go ahead, Leela. Yeah, so the, so establishing but in your coupledom, well, what is the highest vibration that you associate with your relationship? And it may have a religious connotation. There, there's room for that to be then made present. Or it may be a, a, a spiritual precept that is partly why you come together in the first place, is to serve that frequency, which could be, the obvious one being love. It could be compassion. It could be service to humanity. It could be uh, awakened um, awareness. Some couples we've worked with have chosen truth as being the principle that is greater than both of them upon which they both rely and which is which can surround them in its presence. And that's that's really, and it's amazing to us how few people even consider this they sort of do lip service to Jesus or Krishna or whoever, but um, without the real passion that is necessary to be a human being. Come on, the, the mysteries that surround us and your own life, no one knows how breath works. No one knows why we're the only planet discovered by astronomers within light years that actually has life forms on it. No one knows how the amygdala works. No one knows how the T cells work. I mean. You know, there's this sort of sense of confidence among scientists, like, well, we know what's going on. No, no. Talk to a real scientist. They don't know what's going on. So, they, they... so this particular <laughs> quote comes back, just reeling David in here a little. Okay, the, okay. The, the quote comes back to um, a, a statement that is in the Bible, that where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So everyone will initially assume that we consider the name to be that of Christ or Yeshua. 
But in fact, the I am is is a way. There am I. There I am in There's the midst. The, the, the I am is is the frequency of the high self. It's the frequency of that place in the one to oneness where we find our connection and our communion. So we can shape that as I think people do in any way that they are connected to a mythic uh, opening or a spiritual path. We shape, we shape that by saying, well, that's the vibration of, of love or of light or of service to humanity or, but in, in what vibration do we dedicate our relationship is a crucial question. Yeah. It can't just be because it's better for your taxes or because we're going to raise children. It's just those two reasons are not quite enough to sustain the challenges that a couple will face traveling their lives together. And if you bring that principle into the room, we work with uh, couples on this and really to hone that because that's whom we will invite you know, wherever two or more are gathered in this name, this vibration. So, Neil, can, what, what is the name, what something that comes to mind for you that is greater than you are and that you feel is uh, an energy that, that, that informs you and Chloe your being? share. Mm, well, without hesitation, love and, and service um, and... Uh, expansion, um, growth, yeah, contribution, caring. Yeah, th see, those are all Those really are great. Beautiful. You are unusually accessing. <laughs> Some people will go, huh? Well, I'm, I'm just diving right in. But I, I'll say, too, that it's, it, for, for me, it's maybe a bit of an unfair question because this is a, a huge part of our relationship, Chloe and mine, is is having conversations about these things and, and how we operate in the world together. Um, and, and I feel like this is, you know, I want us to talk about the sacred moment. And I feel like before we can, let's take just a, a moment to talk about the sacred Um I, you know, I've, I've leveled with, if you're listening, you know, I've leveled with you that like the sacred to me is, is hugely important in terms of something greater that can help elevate us past particularly the, the, the hard moments. And David, earlier you were talking about the power of commitment to do that. So combine commitment with the, the energy of the sacred and boom, it's like, there you are with like at least the raw ingredients to help you get through challenging things and really soar in amazing moments. But what, how do you conceive of the sacred and what that means to bring that sacred union and to bring the sacred into your relationship? What, one of the reasons I, I value that term sacred union so deeply is, is because I have the kind of partnership that I, I can trust so deeply, whether it's in, the intimacy of sharing my love and my body and my passion, or that we can fuel the vessel that we then work with, as it sounds like you and, and Chloe intend to as well, that we can work with the, the challenges in the world and know that we are cared for, we are caring, um, we are seen and we are seeing one another whether we're 
serving a you know a, a new initiative that that is the combination of our individual passions in the world for the kind of teaching trainings uh, workshops that that we love sharing or even being in large I mean, a little simple example for us is that um, taking some of the principles, say, that are coming out about how to create resonant fields. Um, we do a lot of our energetic work together, sometimes in crowded rooms or conferences or even in airports, where we actually look at the chaos in the space and and we'll start running a coherent field between us say we're 100 feet apart or whatever it's like an opportunity to say no let's see if we can create a coherent wavelength and just notice if anything comes into that field that represents the intention do you know what i'm saying it's like a way of playing in the world with the intention of let, let's just create a, a, a joy field and then notice what walks into it. So there's just different ways of playing with union because your partnership doesn't have a lot of limits about what's possible. It's like, what's where is there some magic that can be harvested and generated because two people have brought their lives together? For me, sacred is... Uh, cannot be described and it cannot be formulated, cannot become a business plan actually, but it can be, can be and often is deeply felt by many, even if they can't explain it. Uh, and that is a, a, a key to, because spirit is ephemeral. Spirit moves in, moves out, and can't be grasped and held on to. So the sacred is the, the knowing in each and every heart in the room that something significant has happened and that something that that love has entered. And it is it, it you can <laughs> you can only invite love or whatever it is you were talking about expansion and um, service and other you can only invite them in and you can't force them to attend. But if you invite them in and make space for them, they will show up. And, they, and sometimes in the oddest and funniest ways. And uh, th that it really requires a celebrant. Because I actually think when two people are getting married, it's not their job to be running the show. They actually need to let go. Uh, that's a really, really helpful that they let go and let the energy move through them, even if they have to be led by the hand to what's next. Uh, that uh, that and the celebrant and the director of the wedding, I think there should be two. The celebrant um, is very aware of that something may visit, something that you've invoked, uh, a being or a principle, an energy, and that that makes the whole realm sacred. Hmm. Okay. So now we're now we're diving in. Um, so. How would you, I like, I like that notion that, that you want your celebrant to basically be the, the person who's on the lookout for and, and, and guiding the ceremony so that this sacred moment where everyone recognizes, wow, something amazing, something ineffable just 
happened. Um, how to and and structurally, what what can a couple do within their ritual to help that occur? Um, I one of the things that couples try so hard to do is to is to write vows that include these magic words. And uh, some people are so concerned that they're going to say all these words that they have three by five cards, which they then pull out and they read them. And it that doesn't work. I mean, it's it's wonderful. We recommend sh- shortish vows in the wedding itself, long vows in writing beforehand, but short ones in the wedding. And then there has to be an open period where there is, uh, and is there anything else to say? And the celebrant can arrange for that. But rather than go through step one, step two, step three, step four, and to try to put, you know, magic words in those steps, it's helpful because it sets the stage, but it isn't the sacred moment. The sacred moment occurs unexpectedly, and it can occur any time during the wedding. But as you get closer to the core of the wedding and you say, now we're entering the core of the wedding, we recommend no photographs. You have to work that up beforehand with the, but, you know, no distractions whatsoever, and you engage all of your audience in this, the, the vows and the ring, that right in the zone of the center there. There are other traditions can add other things in there, like smashing a glass, all that. But it's, it's the center of the, the center should not be interrupted by anything. And in there, that's the, you've created a container, a little temple, so to speak, into which something amazing can come. That that moment when when we're uh, facilitating a ceremony, as as David mentioned, we'll we'll often just ask the bride and groom to just close their eyes for a minute and to prolong a, a, a moment of silence, so that it's not pressing on the words to be spoken as much as the moment to be felt. And then if there are words, they can come out of the silence. And that's a really precious possibility because we often are feeling like people are paying attention and are, you know, we have to perform and and we have to do this right and want to make sure that I say everything just right. And it's actually not so much in the words. It's actually in the quality of relaxing into the moment. Which the audience can feel. And you can hear sometimes a, ah, in the audience when people know something genuine has happened. So for all the planning you can possibly do of, you know, perfect dress, perfect flowers, perfect words even, there, there has to be spa- a little space left, left open for what might appear. And on the other end of that spectrum, it can often happen that that moment occurs spontaneously yeah. as a mistake yeah, or, right. you know, like something dropped or, you know, the ring bearer forgets the rings or, you know, it, any of those moments can sort of break a, a kind of tension. And I mean, good ceremony has a lot in common with good theater. And many of us know that often good theater happens, some of the best theater uh, can happen uh, out of improv. And so there, there's different combinations that, that can bring it to be. But I think that, that we found in the ceremonies that we've done that part of it is 
having an agreement and an intention that 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 moment will be allowed to emerge. And in, it's it's a little challenging to plan it. It's mm-hmm. partly because it occurs a little bit outside the boundary of uh, space and time that, that makes it memorable. So what I'm hearing is that there's just bringing intention and, and inviting, invoking that that sort of thing can happen is part of the, the magic recipe for its happening and, and creating space. If it, if it doesn't just happen, um, you know, to, to know that there's going to be an opportunity where there's silence and you can wait for something to emerge. Um, and I'm wondering people are pretty uncomfortable with silence. You know, it's, I think that's challenging and I'm wondering if you have guidance for at least the couple, like, okay, you know, for the moment, let's, let's assume the audience or the people who are attending are going to bear with us no matter what we do. What, what do you suggest for the couple so that they can really nurture what that might be like to be there in front of their peers and community with that pregnant moment of giving birth to something who knows what? Yeah, yeah, good question. I, you know, for me, that would be the opportunity to ring a chime, uh, play a note of music, um, something very simple that doesn't complicate the silence, but also that isn't perhaps just simply silence. So we often will have a, you know, little Tibetan bells or something that create a beautiful sound. When David and I got married, for me, that, you know, the vow that I took, to and made to him was basically to hear the song of his soul. That was it. I didn't have a long list. <laughs> and, and I played, you know, part of what I did was to play um, a crystal ball. And that, that that signified the sound for me and the echoing of it and the, you know, that amazing, you know, continued sustained sound that can happen. And I found, you know, that I was 43 when we got married and, and, and there was a, an opportunity to simply let the sound resonate. And people were very content to simply take the simplicity of the words, which strung together were, you know, maybe 10 words. Um, but the, the impact of hearing the song of his soul, the sound of his soul, that that, that was my vow. So it's, there's just different ways of, of looking at, you know, how many words do we need and how many words need, do, do we need to have witnessed by the participants? And that to me is partly what, what goes into crafting what's, what's the right container for this couple to express yeah. themselves. Yeah. And, you know, and we also cannot make silence a part of the program and, okay, we're going to stand here in silence until something authentic comes. Nope, can't do that either. Because as soon as you put it as part of the program, it's, it's within form and you're, and you've lost the flow. So a celebrant has to be sensitive to that. And particularly it's in my experience, particularly uh, the men have a more difficult time sort of speaking authentically. Uh, and I, one comes to mind and so he was very sort of wooden 
uh, sort of had a reputation of being wooden and was wooden throughout the ceremony, and then even went through the vows and sort of said his little piece. And uh, I said, huh, so, Joe, tell me, is there anything else that you want to say? And he just sort of, his whole body shook and he shrugged and he said, I just want to marry this woman. I love her. And it was the biggest, and everybody actually applauded. They went, <gasps> and applauded because here was the wooden guy. Finally, you know, sort of something came through him. And later he said, God, I don't know what happened to me. Well, that was it. But, it, it, but there it was. And that now everybody in the audience witnessed that and can reflect that to him for a long time. Yeah, and there's so much energy that that gets positive. It's like you you talk about knots in in the conscious relationship part of your book, but that seems almost like a positive knot, if you will, like like it, you're binding up and creating this this positive charge around your relationship that can be the wind in the sails of your relationship or something like that. Hmm. Tying the knot together is a very positive uh, can be a very positive, whereas other kinds of knots can be how all your energies uh, held up in twisty patterns. Right. Yeah. It's, it's that it's the difference between having those knots that are, you know, holding one hand behind your back versus like this conscious choice that you've made to, to bind your, your energies and your love and your community and your families and your, mm. your mission, your vision, all of those things. Right. With a knot too, you know, it's like the difference between you're, you're weaving a fabric together, you know, ver, you know, versus, you know, tying each other up. <laughs> <laughs> right. That comes later. Um, <laughs> and then you get to untie them. It's called the work of relationship. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, David and Lila Sophia Tresemer. So, joyful to have you here to chat about conscious weddings, conscious relationship, uh, endings, beginnings. And um, I, I want to give you a chance to also let our listeners know more about what you do. I, I mentioned your DVD, Couples Illumination, which is great. And obviously your book, uh, The Conscious Wedding Handbook. Um, I know you have a course that that you're working on on illuminated relationships is that right yeah our website is illuminatedrelationships.com we didn't talk much about light we i did we did mention it anyway <laughs> illuminatedrelationships.com and all the courses and the various the short courses the long courses and other resources are there. So we will have a particular landing page um, for this program for you, Neil, as well, which would be illuminated relationships forward slash N-E-I-L dot com. No, um, I think it's dot com slash N-E-I-L. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we will have the link to that in the show guide um, for all of you listening. Thank you so much for being willing to do that. I'm wondering before we end, is there anything that you would like to say that wants to be spoken through you in this moment to our listeners? We, we have a deep, deep commitment to couples and to light and to assisting uh, illumination, not just for the personal sphere of happiness, but also a relationship as it impacts uh, 
humans with nature, humans with the planet. And we feel that relationships are crucial and healthy, strong, loving relationships actually are what knit us into a planetary being and to being responsive and responsible in that relationship. Thus, the importance of, the, well, our emphasis on relationships to uh, assist in the people, our whole world facing challenging times. Mm. Well, thank you so much, David and Lila Sophia Tresimer. As I mentioned, we will have a detailed show guide that you can download at neilsatin.com slash wedding or you can text the word passion to the number 33444. You can check out uh, David and Lila Sophia's website, illuminatedrelationships.com, and they're going to have a special gift for people who are listening to this episode, and you can pick that up if you go to illuminatedrelationships.com forward slash Neil, N-E-I-L. And other than that, I'm just so appreciative of the work that the two of you are doing in the world. And um, I wish we had spoken more about energy because I, I loved I, and I got more of this when I was diving into your your work, the the way that you bring energy and and make it a living, breathing thing for people so that they're working on that in, in their relationship. So I hope at some point we can maybe even have you back on the show to talk about that a bit more. Um, and in the meantime, I recommend that you go and check out their work. So David and Lila Sophia, thank you so much for being here on Relationship Alive. Thank you, Neil, and thank, thank you, you for your work and, and the biggest so blessing for you and Chloe. Um, yeah, really. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.